afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on WDAY. 970 WDAY. That's all I'm supposed to say it. Capo was getting on me this morning about it. You got you to gotta learn the radio lingo. You're in the biz now, Rob. The biz. Which way is it again? 970 WDAY. That's how we're supposed to say it, right? <laughs> there you go. 970 WDAY. I'm Rob Port, and uh, we're going to dive right into it. we got a guest right off the bat here. Uh, the, I don't need to tell anybody in North Dakota that the Democratic Party has fell on hard times. I, I think even Democrats in the state would admit that, uh, particularly after the last election cycle. Absolutely ugly. Um, you know, I think they lost seven people in, in the state Senate. They lost 11 in the House. Uh, from minorities that, that that a lot of people didn't think could get much smaller, but I guess I guess they proved us wrong. Um, they didn't have a statewide candidate that got over thirty percent of the vote. Um, it's ugly for Democrats right now. Uh, the time is coming though for the party to pick a new leader. Uh, current party chairwoman Kylie Overson is running for another term, but she's got a couple of challengers. One of them joins me right now. His name is CT Marhula. He is from Grand Forks. And uh, he thinks he's got the right ideas for the party. Uh, Mr. Marhula, how are you? I'm great, Rob. And first of all, I'm pleased to be on 970 WDAY. Yeah. See, you can I get the numbers it, right. right. Yeah, he's, you got he's it got right. He's got the lingo. Sign him up. Get him a show. Okay. Uh, CT, let's um, – how, how can Democrats start to win again in North Dakota? Back to basics, Rob. We need to get grass – easy to say – but back to basics. We need to get our districts functioning again. We cannot be at east of I-29 party. We cannot be identity politics. I, I want to engage the workers, both union and non-union. I want to engage the teachers and listen, both union and non-union. Bring back those farmer unions, farmers, engage the seniors, and then we'll work around the edges after that. But we have to be a meat and potatoes, good old uh, MPL party like we were in the 70s and 80s. Explain to me, east of I-29, identity politics, I mean, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, that's, that's obviously what you're saying the current party is. It is. How, it, it, flesh that out for us. Well, I'm not saying that's what the current party is. I'm saying that's the position we find ourselves in. We've made serious efforts uh, in other parts of the state, but I, we just don't have a lot of elected officials east of I-29, and that's even those east of I-29, uh, we, we lost some great candidates, some great incumbents, Max Schneider, George Sinner, uh, other people, and and we we cannot just isolate on the on the University of Fargo and Grand Forks. We have to appeal to that person in Williston, that person in Dickinson, that person in Can Do, uh, Minot, and we can and we will and we have in the past. And that's my commitment. I have the time. I will visit every district in person. We will not be losing like we have before. I, I mean, we we might lose, but we will. You'll your side will know they are in a real battle, Rob. Yeah. Well, listen, I I am for. I like the idea of competitive politics. I believe in you a bet. marketplace of ideas. I think. I think that's how it works, and I'm I'm more than happy to 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 side with Democrats when I feel they're right. The problem is, I I look at your party today, and 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 I know you said you're not in the identity politics party, but I don't know. I mean, more than ever, people can see 
we're all closer to each other than ever before because of social media, right? So we can watch, yeah. and, and I can watch Democrat elected officials, Democrat Party activists on social media. And, and, and I got to say, it, it's, it oftentimes it seems like Democrats in North Dakota over the last few years are talking to themselves. Um, I think there are a lot of people in Western North Dakota who are at times fed up with Republicans who might be willing to vote for Democrats who don't feel like Democrats are talking to them because they're all busy talking to each other and it's all identity politics, it's all national politics, and it's not a lot about what matters to North Dakotans. Is that fair or am I off the mark? Uh, I, I think it's a valid point, whether it's fair or not. If it's valid, it's real to those voters out there. And that's one thing I, I want to change is we do not... The North Dakota Democratic MPL is not the same as the DNC out of Washington, D.C. We have our own values. We've, we value agriculture. We value hard work. We value small businessmen. And, and I'm not going to get – we will never ignore the minorities or that stuff. But I'm not going to put those at the forefront. We are going to be back to basics. I will be out listening to those people in Dickinson. I will be in Williston. I'll be in Kildare. Where there was Kildare Manufacturing is there. There's Stephas out there. These are small business, independent, growing North Dakota businesses that should be supporting us. And I will ask, what can we do to earn your vote? We're not going to. They're not going to just come over and vote for MPLers because CT Marhula had a cup of coffee with them. We will go out and we will earn their votes. How, how can you say though? Because I and, and I hear that a lot. Where Democrats want to distance North Dakota Democrats want to distance themselves from the National Party. We've certainly seen Senator Heitkamp do that heck in 2012 when she uh, ran and barely won her Senate seat. Uh, she didn't attend her party's national convention. So I understand the impulse to, to distance themselves nationally. But why? I, I mean, does anybody really buy that? Because ultimately you're going to have those national candidates come to North Dakota, right? I mean, that's been the trend. We've had Barack Obama visit. We had Hillary Clinton visit, uh, Bill Clinton visit. I mean, those those national politics who you say are not, you know, the, the, the North Dakota Democratic Party is not the same as the National Democratic Party, and yet those candidates are going to come to North Dakota and be supported by North Dakota candidates. Heck, the governor, uh, your gubernatorial candidate, Marvin Nelson, spoke at a Ber Bernie Sanders rally in North Dakota. Now, I don't think Bernie Sanders is somebody that a lot of North Dakotans would vote for. So how do you, I mean, how do you draw that line well, believably? We're the, big, we're the big tent party, Rob. I mean, President Clinton, I mean, that was a pretty good economy. Those are some pretty good years for the nation, whether you want to give up, you know, I don't want to argue credit. We'll, we'll split it between sure. the Republican Congress and, and President Clinton and, okay. and move on. Those were good years, whoever wants to get the credit. So, so someone, uh, someone as successful as President Clinton will always be uh, welcome in North Dakota. And I would say uh, anyone who's been president, whether it's George Bush or Barack Obama, my goodness, I, I would welcome them to North Dakota, whether they're going to the Republican convention or the Democrat convention. Uh, I think it's very nice that a former president would visit our state. And I, I just think that we are not going to allow – we have to improve our messaging, improve our framing, and, and uh, articulate our view, which is we're going to get back to the farmers union farmers, we're going to get back to the middle-income person, we're going to get back to the seniors, and while we will take care of those less fortunate, we're going to make sure the best way to do that is to make the middle class more successful. The ex the current chairwoman Kylie Overson says she's she's also going to run for another cycle as as chairwoman. 
why choose you instead of her? Uh, basically, I, I'm going to go back to the Woody Allen quote, uh, you know, 80% of success is showing up. I will show up. I have the time. I am running for the position. Well, I'm Kylie's on the on the ballot. Also, I'm running more for the position than against her. The biggest difference is I have the experience, I have the training, I have the time, and I will take the time. Do you do you feel like she didn't put enough time in into this last cycle? I mean, I, I guess that's that's what I'm. I mean, you're saying you will show up. Did she not show up? I'm not going to criticize Kylie. I, I'm. All right. I, I don't. I don't mean to say she didn't show up. I'm saying I'm using the Woody Allen quote. Uh, basically, I wasn't even thinking of Kylie then. I'm thinking of what I will do. I will show up at 100 percent of the district. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, last question. Give us a few examples of issues that you think Democrats can win on in North Dakota. I think they can win on permanent tax relief. I, I really do. I, I, I think the prop, property tax, permanent property tax relief. I think the GOP has, uh, they can campaign, but they can't govern, Rob. If you look back at their 2016 uh, convention, they passed a resolution or platform that praised the GOP leadership for setting up sustainability no matter what happens to commodity prices. Well, how did that work out? I mean, they can't govern. You know, you, you want to take a gamble with Al Carlson, pun intentional? We don't. We, we want to build the middle class. We want to support the farmers, things like the state mill. We want to improve the infrastructure, things like that. We will prioritize and spend where appropriate, but we're not going to spend like the GOP did. We're not going to have giveaways for rich people. Okay, well, I it it sounds interesting, and I'm I'm we're listening, CT, and I thank you for your time. Um, I don't thank know though, as I've, as, I've, as I've watched as I've watched you know some of these legislative sessions unfold with Democrats, I have a hard time buying that 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 anybody's going to buy Democrats as as wanting to spend less because I remember during the boom years, and yeah, Republicans spent way too much, and everything I heard from Democrats though was, hey, let's spend more, but. Well, I don't know. You you watch us in 2019 when we take over a significant party, and uh, well, thanks for having me on 970 well, WDAY. 970 WDAY. That's right. I'm listening, and CT. I hope you'll come on again. More to come straight ahead. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. 701-293-9000. Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. And I won't miss you when you're gone. Welcome back, Rob. Report while well, a short segment here. That we're going to talk with Jason Bohr from the Lignite Energy Council. As I as I speak, President Trump is over in Washington D.C. signing a, a new executive order. It is uh, what are they calling it? The Energy Independence Executive Order. And uh, Mr. Bohr thinks that's pretty important public policy for the state of North Dakota. So we'll talk with, with him about that in the next segment. And of course, just finished up our interview with C.T. Marhula, who is running to be uh, chairman of the North Dakota Democratic Party. Uh, other uh, current chairwoman, uh, Kylie Overson, is running for another cycle as, at the job. And uh, there's somebody else, too, who's running uh, from out here in central North Dakota, uh, from District 8, northeast of Bismarck. And I'm, now I'm forgetting that. Casey Buchanan, I think, is the name. 
Uh, so they're all they're all running, and um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's it's a it's a fascinating puzzle. The question of how Democrats can can get back into power in North Dakota, and and I think a lot of their problem, you know, we can talk about, you know, we got to do a better job of messaging, we got to do a better job of this, that, and the other thing. And I honestly, I and, and this this may sound simplistic, I think that the problem with Democrats in North Dakota is that they're Democrats. Right. I mean, they, they, they fundamentally stand for things that North Dakotans, at, at least today in, in the present political environment and, and one that's existed for quite a while in the state, just don't want. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think North Dakotans want a lot of and it's as much as North Dakota Democrats try to sort of isolate themselves from from national politics. I don't, I don't know that it's believable, right? I mean, the state party operates essentially as a local chapter of the national party. They support national candidates. This is not uh, – it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. I, I don't – I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to see if Democrats can, can turn things around in the coming years. I, I think they'll bounce back a little bit, if only because – I think they're going to get a bit of a dead cat bounce because they've hit rock bottom. I mean, I, I don't see how they could do much worse. So I'll see that. But in terms of leading the party back into, into majorities again, I, I don't know. I mean, it might be a generation before we see something like that again. Doug's got a quick comment. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, I started chortling when I heard the whole thing that we're going to make things better by changing our messaging. People don't want to hear different messaging. Tell me how you're going to have policies that are going to make life better for the average North Dakotan. And guess what? 98% of what the Democrat Party, locally, nationally, spouting off, we don't want. Simple as that. I, th- I, I think that's right. right. And, I, and, and, and the problem you're going to have is that if you try to just repackage the same old stuff, thanks for the call, Doug, if, if you just try to repackage the same old thing, I don't think people are going to buy it. You know, I, I don't know how, and I, I don't know if that's what CT was saying. You know, I mean, he's running for party chair, and I guess it's not even really up to him what policies, you know, the candidates promote or anything. I mean, I think that's really probably up to the, the candidates themselves. But I don't know. I mean, Democrats in North Dakota seem to stand for more spending. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's really kind of funny because North Dakota Republicans are extremely vulnerable on spending. If, if somebody runs to the right of them on spending, they'll win. That's what Doug Burgum did, right? During the 2016 election cycle, what was Doug Burgum's big message? Well, there's runaway spending by the good old boys club in Bismarck. And you know what? He, he won. But the reason why he had credibility to make that argument is because he ran as a Republican. Nobody believes that the Democrats mean what they say. You know, the Democrats don't really want less spending. Right? During the oil boom years, they wanted more spending. Anyway, we're going to talk about energy coming up next with Jason Bohr, head of the North Dakota Lignite Energy Council. We'll be back right after this. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY. Don't go away. All right. There's something wrong with this
Welcome back, 970 WDAY. I'm Rob Port. This is the Rob Report. You know, as I um, as uh, as the show's been going on, President Donald Trump's been over in Washington D.C. Uh, signing a new executive order, rolling back a lot of uh, energy-related regulations that uh, were put into place by under the Obama administration. Uh, the Lignite Energy Council is pretty happy about it. I read a, a statement from the head of the group, Jason Bohr, who is my guest. He wrote today, I quote, The Lignite Energy Council applauds President Trump for his decisive action today in issuing an energy independence executive order that will create a pro-growth, pro-environment approach to regulation in the United States. We are pleased that this action will help preserve, protect, and enhance the Lignite coal industry as well as strength and research and development efforts to develop an abundant supply of electricity for American businesses and families. The president's initiative is good news for the nation and good news for the North Dakota coal industry in particular. Jason, thanks for the time. Tell us, what exactly is the president doing today? He's returning power to the people and the states and putting the ability for us to be in charge of our own energy future and taking that power away from unelected a bureaucrats and environmental protection agency. He's making it possible for us to be able to maintain the prosperity that we derive from an energy economy while making sure that um, the grid itself is stable and reliable and that we're going to have power in the future. 701-293-9000 if you want to join. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com or heck, send me a tweet at Rob Port. So specifically, though, what what did he? I mean, what 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 is he doing? It's the clean power plan, and, and and what else? I mean, in terms of, of practical policy, what is President Trump unwinding today? So he's unwinding the clean power plan, which was um, the primary centerpiece of the climate action plan, um, the associated uh, climate goals, um, and coal mining moratoriums. Those things that went along with that are also being turned back. Um, so what he's doing is. Um, eliminating the unrealistic requirement that North Dakota simply shut down its coal plant um, in order to comply with an unrealistic target of reducing CO2 emissions that had zero impact on the environment. So he's, um, he's telling us, listen, I understand that this regulation actually did nothing to help the climate, but it was going to put thousands of people out of work, raise electric rates, and get into everybody's pocketbooks who pays for energy. He's stopping that and saying, we're going to take a different approach. You argue that this is going to create jobs both for North Dakota and, and America, that it's going to be good for our our coal industry. And, and I agree with you, but one thing that we're hearing a lot from, from critics of this move in, in the media is that this isn't what could save the coal industry. The coal industry is not competitive anymore. Uh, it's being run out of the marketplace by better alternatives like wind and solar and natural gas. Uh, when, when you hear those things, how do you respond? Because you're, you're saying this is going to bring back jobs. This is going to be good for the economy. Other people are saying, nah, coal's already lost this war. This, this, this doesn't change anything. If that were true, they wouldn't fight so hard. They wouldn't make it their goal to shut down these coal plants in 2020 if it was going to happen on their own in 2021 because of market forces. So what you're seeing there is a desperate grasping at rhetorical straws to cover the fact that they did want to shut down the coal industry 
and now they're not going to be able to. Now, that is their, what they're talking about is certainly based on a grain of truth. Market forces have changed in the past five to ten years. We've got plentiful natural gas. We've had heavily subsidized wind. Um, you can't say that those two things haven't disrupted the marketplace and they haven't had made it more difficult for coal to compete. Absolutely, that's true. But to say we don't have a future is completely false because we continue to invest in research and development that will allow us to produce electricity cheaper than ever before, more efficiently than ever before. So we have a bright future, um, but we that that future gets brighter when you remove the clean power plan because it allows us to innovate on a better timetable. Tell us about the innovation because I, I think that's one thing that a lot of people miss. I think a lot of people hear this and they think, well, you know, we're rolling back rules, so the coal industry is going to go backwards. But that's not really true. I mean, coal has been moving. I mean, you guys talk all the time about, uh, you know, cleaning up emissions and, and, and better practices and improving processes all the time. The problem with this is that it's set out unrealistic timelines. So it's not like coal's going back to the bad old ways, I, I, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. But just we're, we're going to take away some unrealistic expectations. Is that fair? Yeah, that's true. I mean, we've reduced sulfur dioxide emissions by 92%, nitrous oxide by 84%, particulate matter by 94%. All of these things um, have happened. Um, and the coal industry continues to say, how else can we make the coal industry more vibrant and better serve the needs of the consumers? So we continue to look at ways to... Um, produce electricity more efficiently and capture that CO2 and use it for additional benefits, like perhaps enhanced oil um, recovery. We, uh, I just got an email from a listener, uh, says, uh, where my mom lives in Kentucky, job, share, job fairs for the crippled coal industry are popping up, more jobs for all the laid-off miners. Is it really having that direct impact, Jason? It is in other parts of the country. The, the lignite industry in North Dakota has been more resilient because we have different structures with our power plants who have a direct mine-mouth relationship with the coal mines. So we don't have to deal with transportation problems when you're railing coal out of Wyoming all the way across the country or, or when you're dealing with um, that uncertainty in the coal mining that some of these places in Appalachia have. So... In other parts of the country, is it that bad? Absolutely, because there has been a war on coal over the past eight years. We haven't sustained direct damage, but we've had collateral damage from that, sure. What changes, I, I, I mean, in, in terms of just practical on the ground that, that the everyday North Dakotan could see, who doesn't necessarily work directly for the coal industry, what changes can we expect to see? I mean, are, is there a possibility now that we could see a new coal plant get built? That hasn't happened in a long time. I mean, is are, what, I mean, what, what, what does the future look like? You say the future's brighter. Tell us what that future looks like. I think the future includes um, an increased investment in some of the value-added things associated with coal. Um, we're looking at extracting rare earth elements from lignite coal. Um, that's a, a more short-term short I think longer term, what you see is absolutely a new coal plant being built. Um, I hope that we see technology that breaks through that economic barrier so we can build a new round of coal plants, which will provide another foundation of prosperity for North Dakota for the next 80 years 
like the coal plants that we currently have. What changes in the next year? Honestly, I hope not a lot changes for the average person who's not involved in the coal industry, because right now I want them to continue to have access to that low-cost, reliable electricity and not see their bill go up by 50%, which was what was going to happen under the Clean Power Plan. Now, now that the, the, the Clean Power Plan and some of the stuff's off the table, you mentioned you know coal facing a lot of competition from wind, which in turn is very heavily subsidized. That's certainly a debate that's been ongoing in Bismarck this legislative session. I think there's a lot of people who are upset that wind not only gets a very very large subsidy in the form of the production tax credit, but also gets basically first dibs to, to sell their energy into the grid when they're producing it. Any, I mean, any chance that, that some of those policies are going to change and maybe bring coal back up to a more even footing? No, the production tax credit is supposed to be phased out at the federal level. Um, well, we've heard that before, I wish it, though. Yeah, I, I wish it would actually happen, um, and I wish it would happen quicker than it's slated to happen. Imagine, you know, you get a $20 head start on a product that sells for $20. Um, it's almost impossible to compete with that. So those types of policy questions, we need to debate them in the context of what's the impact on the state of North Dakota? What's the impact on the state of North Dakota's bottom line? The coal industry provides $100 million in tax revenue every year. Uh, a coal job generates $85,000 for every megawatt of electricity produced we got to step back and say, what are we giving up when we not just tolerate bad federal policies, but incentivize and encourage them? Um, I think all of the above energy policy is a great goal. But let's get everybody on an even playing field. we got a caller, Ed. Go ahead, Ed. Um, thank you for accepting the call. I, I uh, have to make a couple of comments here. Uh, whenever someone from the Lignite, uh, is on, and they say how wonderful it is. Uh, what they fail to say is that 40% of the CO2 we're releasing is from coal. I don't see how we can possibly reduce our CO2 emissions unless we control and abolish the coal energy-producing uh, companies in the United States. Um all right. Well, let me, Ed, Edward. We we don't have a lot of time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna drop you, and I'm gonna let Jason respond to that. He's saying he doesn't believe for a minute that we can reduce the amount of carbon emitted. Therefore, uh, we got to get rid of coal. What's your response? Then you must not have a lot of faith in the scientific method, because we've been demonstrating proven ways to make that happen for the past ten years. We're working on making them more economical. He's right. You can't reduce the CO2 without tackling the issue. But we got to do it economically, and we've made technological breakthroughs that allow that to happen cheaper and cheaper and cheaper every year. All we're asking is, hey, don't give us a timetable that's three years away when the technology is five or six years away. Let's do it realistically in line with what the scientists are telling us is possible. You know, and, and I think it is possible. I think we can, we can use our coal resources. We can use them responsibly in a way that generates uh, cheap, reliable power for everybody and it's not bad for the environment. I think that's a place that we can get to. I think we're on that path. We just need the time to get there. Jason, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's Jason Bohr, head of the North Dakota Lignite Energy Council. We'll wrap up the show right after this. This is the Rob Report on W970 WDAY. Don't go away.
Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDAY. Email talk at WDAY.com. Call in 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. That's the toll-free number. You can send me tweets, too, at Rob Port. Uh, talking a little bit about, uh, you know, President Trump off in Washington, D.C., signing, uh, rolling back some more of those Obama-era regulations. Uh, listen, I, I, I think the problem is you look at those a lot of, a lot of those regulations implemented by the Obama administration, and they weren't really intended to, to, to promote clean development of, for instance, coal energy. That's not, that wasn't really the goal. The goal was to set out under the auspices of, of saving the environment, set out a, a set of standards, a set of regulations that were so arduous that it was basically impossible to develop coal. It, it's sort of like what the gun control people have been doing for keeping and bearing firearms, right? Like, they know they can't just come right out and ban guns. And so what they want to do is they're going to support so many different policies that make it so difficult, so legally perilous, so expensive to buy a gun, to buy ammunition, to possess a gun, to carry a gun, to use a gun, that people just don't do it. I think that's what they were trying to do with coal energy. I mean, listen, we have, we still have centuries worth of coal in the United States and in North Dakota. Centuries. Why not use that resource? This, this is the thing that, that has always bothered me, because the politicians get all worked up, and they start putting in policies, and we're subsidizing this, and we're subsidizing that, and we're pushing ourselves onto these alternatives. And what's pushing us there is not market demand. What's pushing us there is not that these alternatives are necessarily better. What's pushing us there is political will. And then along the way, we start drawing investment away from weights that we could maybe make coal better. Now, I don't think we have to use coal for all time. If we came up with a better source that could provide cheap baseline power that was reliable, that could replace coal, I'd be for it. If it was a better alternative, it could compete in the marketplace. I am not for getting away from coal because that's what politicians want. We got a comment from Tom. Go ahead, Tom. What's up? Yeah, um, as far as coal goes... um Coke is made from coal. Coke is used in making steel. Now, it's a yeah. finite uh, resource we have in, in coal. And uh, once coal is gone, there'll be no more coke, there'll be no more steel. So using coal to make electricity is just stupid. Okay, there you go. I don't agree. Um, you know, again, we have a lot more coal resources than you're letting on. And... You know, we we can do this. And who's to say that we have to make steel the same way forever and ever, right? I mean, I listen, there's a lot of Malthusianism that goes on here, uh, which is a reference to Thomas Malthus. He was a, he was a famous economist who thought that we were going to see famine because we were going to outgrow our ability. You know, population was going to outgrow our ability to pr- produce food for it. I mean, it's, it's called Malthusian economics. Um, and And... What happened is is that he was wrong because the one thing that he didn't take into account was human invention and human innovation. What he didn't take into account was Norman Borlaug, who, by the way, if you don't know who that is, you should Google him because one reason why we don't have famine across the globe is him. He is somebody who came up with ways to genetically modify crops to make them more resistant, 
increase yields, more resistant to uh, to, to uh, uh, you know diseases and and pests and, and things like that. That was human innovation. We got better at farming. We were able to produce more food from an acre of ground than we could before. Human innovation, we're always improving things, including how to burn coal to make electricity, how to make steel. We are improving these things all the time. And so I, I think that's the problem. These people who look ahead and say, oh, we got to get away from coal. we got to get away from oil. The peak oil, by the way, how foolish do the peak oil people look right now? we got more oil than we know what to do with. I imagine a lot of the oil companies wish we had a little more oil scarcity to drive prices back up. What people don't take into account is human ingenuity, human innovation. It's the wild card. It's the thing we can't account for. Sometimes we got to have a little more faith in it. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Remember, you can catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Nateel, thanks a lot. We'll be back. Or no, we won't be back. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.